Isis Audiobooks presents an unabridged recording of Masquerade, written by Terry Pratchett, read by Nigel Planer. The wind howled. The storm crackled on the mountains. Lightning prodded the crags like an old man trying to get an elusive blackberry pip out of his false teeth. Among the hissing firs bushes, a fire blazed, the flames driven this way and that by the gusts. An eldritch voice shrieked, When shall we, uh, two, meet again? Thunder rolled. A rather more ordinary voice said, "'What you go and shout that for? "'You made me drop my toast in the fire.' Nanny Og sat down again. "'Sorry, Esme. "'I was just doing it for, you know, old time's sake. "'Doesn't roll off the tongue, though. "'I'd just got it nice and brown, too. "'Sorry.' "'Anyway, you didn't have to shout. "'Sorry. "'I mean, I ain't deaf. "'You could have just asked me in a normal voice "'and I'd have said, "'Next Wednesday.' Sorry, Esme. Just you cut me another slice. Nanny Og nodded and turned her head. Magrat, cut Granny another... Oh, mind wandering there for a minute. I'll do it myself, shall I? Ha! said Granny Weatherwax, staring into the fire. There was no sound for a while but the roar of the wind and the sound of Nanny Og cutting bread which she did with about as much efficiency as a man trying to chainsaw a mattress. "'I thought it'd cheer you up coming up here,' she said after a while. "'Really?' It wasn't a question. "'Take you out of yourself, sort of thing,' Nanny went on, watching her friend carefully. Hmm, said Granny, still staring moodily at the fire. "'Oh, dear,' thought Nanny. "'I shouldn't have said that.' The point was... Well, the point was that Nanny Og was worried. Very worried. She wasn't at all sure that her friend wasn't, well, going, well, sort of, in a manner of speaking, well, black. She knew it happened with the really powerful ones, and Granny Weatherwax was pretty damn powerful. She was probably an even more accomplished witch now than the infamous Black Alice, and everyone knew what had happened to her at the finish pushed into her own stove by a couple of kids, and everyone said it was a damn good thing even if it took a whole week to clean the oven. But Alice, up until that terrible day, had terrorised the ramtops. She'd become so good at magic that there wasn't room in her head for anything else. They said weapons couldn't pierce her. Swords bounced off her skin. They said you could hear her mad laughter a mile off. And, of course, while mad laughter was always part of a witch's stock in trade in necessary circumstances, this was insane mad laughter, the worst kind. And she turned people into gingerbread and had a house made of frogs. It had been very nasty towards the end. It always was when a witch went bad. Sometimes, of course, they didn't go bad. They just went somewhere. Granny's intellect needed something to do. She did not take kindly to boredom. She'd take to her bed instead and send her mind out borrowing inside the head of some forest creature, listening with its ears, seeing with its eyes. That was all very well for general purposes, but she was too good at it. She could stay away longer than anyone Nanny Og had ever heard of. One day, almost certainly, she wouldn't bother to come back and this was the worst time of the year, with the geese honking and rushing across the sky every night, and the autumn air crisp and inviting. There was something terribly tempting about that. Nanny Og reckoned she knew what the cause of the problem was. She coughed. <clears throat> Saw Magrat the other day, she ventured, looking sidelong at Granny. There was no reaction. She's looking well. Queening suits her. Hmm. Nanny groaned inwardly. If Granny couldn't even be bothered to make a nasty remark, then she was really missing Magrat. 
Nanny Og had never believed it at the start, but Magrat Garlic, wet as a sponge though she was half the time, had been dead right about one thing. Three was a natural number for witches, and they'd lost one. Well, not lost, exactly. Magrat was queen now, and queens were hard to mislay. But that meant that there were only two of them instead of three. When you had three, you had one to run around getting people to make up when there'd been a row. Magrat had been good for that. Without Magrat, Nanny Og and Granny Weatherwax got on one another's nerves. With her, all three had been able to get on the nerves of absolutely everyone else in the whole world, which had been a lot more fun. And there was no having Magrat back. At least, to be precise about it, there was no having Magrat back yet. Because while three was a good number for witches, it had to be the right sort of three. The right sort of types. Nanny Og found herself embarrassed even to think about this, and this was unusual because embarrassment normally came as naturally to Nanny as altruism comes to a cat. As a witch, she naturally didn't believe in any occult nonsense of any sort. But there were one or two truths down below the bedrock of the soul which had to be faced, and right in among them was this business of, well, of the maiden, the mother, and the, the, the other one. There. She'd put words around it. Of course, it was nothing but an old superstition, and belonged to the unenlightened days when maiden, or mother, or the other one, encompassed every woman over the age of twelve or so, except maybe for nine months of her life. These days, any girl bright enough to count and sensible enough to take Nanny's advice could put off being at least one of them for quite some time. Even so, it was an old superstition, older than books, older than writing and beliefs like that were heavy weights on the rubber sheet of human experience, tending to pull people into their orbit. And Magrat had been married for three months. That ought to mean she was out of the first category. At least Nanny twitched her train of thought onto a branch line. She probably was. Oh, surely. Young Verence had sent off for a helpful manual. It had pictures in it, and numbered parts. Nanny knew this because she had sneaked into the royal bedroom while visiting one day and had spent an instructive ten minutes drawing moustaches and spectacles on some of the figures. Surely even Magrat and Verence could hardly fail to... No, they must have worked it out. Even though Nanny had heard that Verence had been seen inquiring of people where he might buy a couple of false moustaches. It had not be long before Magrat was eligible for the second category, even if they were both slow readers. Of course, Granny Weatherwax made a great play of her independence and self-reliance, but the point about that kind of stuff was that you needed someone around to be proudly independent and self-reliant at. People who didn't need people needed people around to know that they were the kind of people who didn't need people. It was like hermits. There was no point in freezing your nadgers off on top of some mountain while communing with the infinite, unless you could rely on a lot of impressionable young women to come along occasionally and say, Gosh! They needed to be three again. Things got exciting when there were three of you. There were rows and adventures and things for Granny to get angry about. And she was only happy when she was angry. In fact, it seemed to Nanny she was only Granny Weatherwax when she was angry. Yes, they needed to be three. Or else it was going to be grey wings in the night or the clang of the oven door. The manuscript fell apart as soon as Mr. Goatburger picked it up. It wasn't even on proper paper. It had been written on old sugar bags and the backs of envelopes and bits of out-of-date calendar. He grunted and grabbed a handful of the musty pages to throw them on the fire. A word caught his eye. He read it and his eye was dragged to the end of the sentence. Then he read to the end of the page, doubling back a few times because he hadn't quite believed what he'd just read. He turned the page, and then he turned back, and then he read on. At one point he took a ruler out of his drawer and looked at it thoughtfully. He opened his drinks cabinet. The bottle tinkled cheerfully on the edge of the glass as he tried to pour himself a drink. Then he stared out of the window at the opera house on the other side of the road. A small figure was brushing the steps. And then he said, Oh my! Finally he went to the door and said, "'Could you come in here, Mr. Cropper?' His chief printer entered, clutching a sheaf of proofs. 
We're going to have to get Mr Cripslock to engrave page 11 again, he said mournfully. He spelled famine with seven letters. Read this, said Goatburger. I was just off to lunch. Read this. Guild Agreement says read this and see if you still have an appetite. Mr Cropper sat down with bad grace and glanced at the first page. Then he turned to the second page. After a while, he opened the desk drawer and pulled out a ruler, which he looked at thoughtfully. "'You've just read about banana-na soup surprise?' said Goatburger. "'Yes.' "'You wait till you get to Spotted Dick.' "'Well, my old granny used to make Spotted Dick.' "'Not to this recipe,' said Goatburger, with absolute certainty. Cropper fumbled through the pages. "'Blimey! Do you think any of this stuff works?' "'Who cares? Go down to the Guild right now and hire all the engravers that are free, preferably elderly ones.' "'But I've still got the Groon, June, August and Sproon predictions for next year's Almanac to... "'Forget them. Use some old ones. People will notice. "'They've never noticed before,' said Mr Goatburger. "'You know the drill. Astounding rains of curry in Clatch. "'Amazing death of the Seraph of E. "'Plague of wasps in her wonderland. "'This is a lot more important.' "'He stared, unseeing, out of the window again.' considerably more important. And he dreamed the dream of all those who publish books, which was to have so much gold in your pockets that you would have to employ two people just to hold your trousers up. The huge, becolumned, gargoyle-haunted face of Ankh Morpork's Opera House was there, in front of Agnes Knit. She stopped. At least, most of Agnes stopped. There was a lot of Agnes. It took some time for outlying regions to come to rest. Well, this was it, at last. She could go in, or she could go away. It was what they called a life choice. She'd never had one of those before. Finally, after standing still for long enough for a pigeon to consider the perching possibilities of her huge and rather sad black floppy hat, she climbed the steps. A man was theoretically sweeping them. What he was in fact doing was moving the dirt around with a broom to give it a change of scenery and a chance to make new friends. He was dressed in a long coat that was slightly too small for him and had a black beret perched incongruously on spiky black hair. "'Excuse me,' said Agnes. The effect was electric. He turned round, tangled one foot with the other and collapsed onto his broom. Agnes's hand flew to her mouth and then she reached down. "'Oh, I'm so sorry.' The hand had that clammy feel that makes a holder think longingly of soap. He pulled it away quickly, pushed his greasy hair out of his eyes and gave her a terrified smile. He had what Nanny Og called an underdone face, its features rubbery and pale. No trouble, miss. Are you all right? He scrambled up, got the broom somehow tangled between his knees and sat down again sharply. Uh, shall I hold the broom? said Agnes helpfully. She pulled it out of the tangle. He got up again after a couple of false starts. "'Do you work for the Opera House?' said Agnes. "'Yes, miss.' He looked around wildly. "'Stage door,' he said. "'I'll show you.' The words came out in a rush, as if he had to line them up and fire them all in one go before they had time to wander off. He snatched the broom out of her hands and set off down the steps and towards the corner of the building. He had a unique stride. It looked as though his body were being dragged forward and his legs had to flail around underneath it, landing wherever they could find room. It wasn't so much a walk as a collapse, indefinitely postponed. His erratic footsteps led towards a door in the side wall. Agnes followed them in. Just inside was a sort of shed, with one open wall and a counter positioned so that someone standing there could watch the door. The person behind it must have been a human being because walruses don't wear coats. The strange man had disappeared somewhere in the gloom beyond. Agnes looked around desperately. "'Yes, miss?' said the walrus man. It really was an impressive moustache, which had sapped all the growth from the rest of its owner. "'Er, uh, I'm here for the auditions,' said Agnes. "'I saw a notice that said you were auditioning.' <laughs> she gave a helpless little smile. 
The doorkeeper's face proclaimed that it had seen and been unimpressed by more desperate smiles than even Agnes could have eaten hot dinners. He produced a clipboard and a stub of pencil. You got the sign here, he said. Who was that person who came in with me? The moustache moved, suggesting a smile was buried somewhere below. Everyone knows our Walter Plinge. This seemed to be all the information that was likely to be imparted. Agnes gripped the pencil. The most important question was, what should she call herself? Her name had many sterling qualities, no doubt, but it didn't exactly roll off the tongue. It snapped off the palate and clicked between the teeth, but it didn't roll off the tongue. The trouble was, she couldn't think of one with great rotational capabilities. Catherine, possibly, or Perdita. She could go back to trying Perdita. She'd been embarrassed out of using that name in Lancre. It was a mysterious name, hinting of darkness and intrigue, and incidentally of someone who was quite thin. She'd even given herself a middle initial, X, which stood for someone who has a cool and exciting middle initial. It hadn't worked. Lancre people were depressingly resistant to cool. She'd just been known as that Agnes who calls herself Perditax. She'd never dared tell anyone that she'd like her full name to be Perdita X Dream. They just wouldn't understand. They'd say things like, If you think that's the right name for you, why have you still got two shelves full of soft toys? Well, here she could start afresh. She was good. She knew she was good. Probably no hope for the dream, though. She was probably stuck with the knit. Nanny Og usually went to bed early. After all, she was an old lady. Sometimes she went to bed as early as 6am. Her breath puffed in the air as she walked through the woods. Her boots crunched on the leaves. The wind had died away, leaving the sky wide and clear and open for the first frost of the season, a petal-nipping, fruit-withering little scorcher that showed you why they called nature a mother. A third witch. Three witches could sort of spread the load. Maiden, mother, and... crone. There. The trouble was that Granny Weatherwax combined all three in one. She was a maiden, as far as Nanny knew, and she was at least in the right age bracket for a crone. And as for the third, well, cross Granny Weatherwax on a bad day and you'd be like a blossom in the frost. There was bound to be a candidate for the vacancy, though. There were several young girls in Lancre who were just about the right age. Trouble was, the young men of Lancre knew it too. Nanny wandered the summer hayfields regularly, and had a sharp if compassionate eye, and damn good over-the-horizon hearing. Violet Frottage was walking out with young deviousness Carter, or at least doing something within ninety degrees of walking out. Bonnie Quarney had been gathering nuts in May with William Simple, and it was only because she'd thought ahead and taken a little advice from Nanny that she wouldn't be bearing fruit in February. And pretty soon now, young Mildred Tinker's mother would have a quiet word with Mildred Tinker's father, and he'd have a word with his friend Thatcher, and he'd have a word with his son Hob. And then there'd be a wedding, all done in a properly civilised way, except for maybe a black eye or two. The people of Lancre thought that marriage was a very serious step that ought to be done properly, so they practised quite a lot. No doubt about it, thought Nanny with a misty-eyed smile, innocence in a hot Lancre summer was that state in which innocence is lost. And then a name rose out of the throng. Oh, yes, her. Why hadn't she thought of her? But you didn't, of course. Whenever you thought about the young girls of Lancre, you didn't remember her. And then you said, Oh, yes, her too, of course, of course. She's got a wonderful personality, and good hair, of course. She was bright and talented in many ways. Her voice, for one thing. That was her power, finding its way out. And, of course, she also had a wonderful personality, so there'd be not much chance of her being... disqualified. Well, that was settled then. Another witch to bully and impress would set Granny up a treat, and Agnes would be bound to thank her eventually. Nanny Og was relieved. You needed at least three witches for a coven. Two witches was just an argument. She opened the door of her cottage and climbed the stairs to bed. 
Her cat, the Tom Grebo, was spread out on the eiderdown like a puddle of grey fur. He didn't even awake as Nanny lifted him up bodily so that nightdress clad she could slide between the sheets. Just to keep bad dreams at bay, she took a swig out of a bottle that smelled of apples and happy brain death. Then she pummeled her pillow, thought, Her. Yes, and drifted off to sleep. Presently, Grebo awoke, stretched, yawned, and hopped silently to the floor. Then, the most vicious and cunning a pile of fur that ever had the intelligence to sit on a bird table with its mouth open and a piece of toast balanced on its nose, vanished through the open window. A few minutes later, the cockerel in the garden next door stuck up his head to greet the bright new day and died instantly mid-doodle-doo. There was a huge darkness in front of Agnes, while at the same time she was half-blinded by the light. Just below the edge of the stage, giant flat candles floated in a long trough of water, producing a strong yellow glare quite unlike the oil lamps of home. Beyond the light, the auditorium waited like the mouth of a very big and extremely hungry animal. From somewhere on the far side of the lights, a voice said, "'When you're ready, miss!' It wasn't a particularly unfriendly voice. It just wanted her to get on with it, sing her piece, and go. Uh, "'I've got this song. It's a—' "'You've given your music to Miss Proudlet.' Uh, "'There isn't an accompaniment, actually. It... "'Oh, it's a folk song, is it?' There was a whispering in the darkness, and someone laughed quietly. "'Off you go, then. Perdita, right?' Agnes launched into the hedgehog song and knew by about word seven that it had been the wrong choice. You needed a tavern with people leering and thumping their mugs on the table. This big, brilliant emptiness just sucked at it and made her voice hesitant and shrill. She stopped at the end of verse three. She could feel the blush starting from somewhere around her knees. It'd take some time to get to her face because it had a lot of skin to cover, but by then it'd be strawberry pink. She could hear whispering. Words like timbre emerged from the susuration, and then, she wasn't surprised to hear, came impressive build. She did, she knew, have an impressive build. So did the opera house. She didn't have to feel good about it. The voice spoke up. You haven't had much training, have you, dear? No, which was true. Lankra's only other singer of note was Nanny Og, whose attitude to songs was purely ballistic. You just pointed your voice at the end of the verse and went for it. Whisper, whisper. Sing us a few scales, dear. The blush was at chest height now, thundering across the rolling acres. Scales? Whisper. Muffled laugh. Do, re, me. You know, dear, starting low, la, la, la. Oh, yes. As the armies of embarrassment stormed her neckline, Agnes pitched her voice as low as she could and went for it. She concentrated on the notes, working her way stolidly upwards from sea level to mountain top, and took no notice at the start when a chair vibrated across the stage, or at the end when a glass broke somewhere and several bats fell out of the roof. There was silence from the big emptiness, except for the thud of another bat and far above a gentle tinkle of glass. Is... Is that your full range, lass? People were clustering in the wings and staring at her. No. No. If I go any higher, people faint, said Agnes. And if I go any lower, everyone says it makes them feel uncomfortable. Whisper, whisper. Whisper, whisper, whisper. And, uh, any other... I can sing with myself in thirds. Nanny Og says not everyone can do that. Sorry? Like... Do me at the same time. Whisper, whisper. Show us, lass. La the people at the side of the stage were talking excitedly. Whisper, whisper. The voice from the darkness said, Now your voice projection. Oh, I can do that, snapped Agnes. She was getting rather fed up. Where would you like it projected? I'm sorry, we're talking about... Agnes ground her teeth. She was good, and she'd show them. To here? Or there? Or here? Up here? 
It wasn't that much of a trick, she thought. It could be very impressive if you put the words in the mouth of a nearby dummy, like some of the travelling showmen did, but you couldn't pitch it far away and still manage to fool a whole audience. Now that she was accustomed to the gloom, she could just make out people turning around in their seats, bewildered. "'What's your name again, dear?' The voice which had at one point shown traces of condescension had a distinct beaten-up sound. "'Agni... <clears throat> per... Perdita,' said Agnes. "'Perdita nit. Perdita ex nit. "'We may have to do something about the nit, dear.' Granny Weatherwax's door opened by itself. Jarge Weaver hesitated. Of course, she were a witch. People told him this sort of thing happened. He didn't like it, but he didn't like his back either, especially when his back didn't like him. It came to something when your vertebrae ganged up on you. He eased himself forward, grimacing, balancing himself on two sticks. The witch was sitting in a rocking chair, facing away from the door. Jarge hesitated. "'Come on in, Jarge Weaver,' said Granny Weatherwax, and let me give you something for that back of yours. The shock made him try to stand upright, and this made something white-hot explode somewhere in the region of his belt. Granny Weatherwax rolled her eyes and sighed. Can you sit down? No, miss. I can fall over on a chair, though. Granny produced a small black bottle from an apron pocket and shook it vigorously. Jarge's eyes widened. "'You got all that ready for me?' he said. "'Yes,' said Granny truthfully. "'She'd long ago been resigned to the fact "'that people expected a bottle of something funny-coloured and sticky. "'It wasn't the medicine that did the trick, though. "'It was, in a way, the spoon. "'This is a mixture of rare herbs and such-like,' she said, "'including sucrose and aqua.' "'My word!' said Jarge, impressed. Take a swig now. He obeyed. It tasted faintly of licorice. You got to take another swig last thing at night, Granny went on, and then walk three times round a chestnut tree. <gasps> three times round a chestnut tree. And, and put a pine board under your mattress. Got to be pine from a twenty-year-old tree, mind. Twenty-year-old tree,' said Jarge. "'He felt he should make a contribution. "'So the knots in me back end up in the pine,' he hazarded. "'Granny was impressed. "'It was an outrageously ingenious bit of folk hokum "'worth remembering for another occasion. "'You got it exactly right,' she said. "'And that's it. "'You wanted more?' Uh, I thought they were dancing and, and, and chanting and stuff. Did that before you got here, said Granny. Oh, my word, uh, yes, uh, um, about paying. Oh, I don't want paying, said Granny. It's bad luck taking money. Oh, uh, right, Jarge brightened up. But um, maybe if your wife's got any old clothes, perhaps uh, I'm a size 12, black for preference, or, or bakes the odd cake, no plums, and that gives me wind, or got a bit of old mead put by, could be, or perhaps you'll be killing a hog about now. Best back's my favourite. Maybe some ham, uh, a few pig knuckles, anything you can spare, really. No obligation. I wouldn't go around putting anyone under obligation just because I'm a witch. Everyone all right in your house, are they? Blessed with good health, I hope? She watched this sink in. And now let me help you out of the door, she added. Weaver was never quite certain about what happened next. Granny, usually so sure on her feet, seemed to trip over one of his sticks as she went through the door and fell backward holding his shoulders, and somehow her knee came up and hit a spot on his backbone as she twisted sideways, and there was a click. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> me back, me back. Still, Jarge reasoned later, she was an old woman, and she might be getting clumsy, and she'd always been daft. But she made good potions. They worked damn fast, too. He was carrying his sticks by the time he got home. Granny watched him go, shaking her head. 
People were so blind, she reflected, they preferred to believe in gibberish rather than chiropractic. Of course, it was just as well this was so. She'd much rather they went ooh when she seemed to know who was approaching her cottage than work out that it conveniently overlooked a bend in the track. And as for the door latch and the trick with the length of black thread... Not that she sat looking out of the window. She'd been watching the fire when she picked up the approach of Jarge Weaver, but that wasn't the point. But what had she done? She'd just tricked a rather dim old man. She'd faced wizards, monsters and elves and now she was feeling pleased with herself because she'd fooled Jarge Weaver, a man who'd twice failed to become village idiot through being overqualified. It was the slippery slope. Next thing, it'd be cackling and gibbering and luring children into the oven. And it wasn't as if she even liked children. For years, Granny Weatherwax had been contented enough with the challenge that village witchcraft could offer, and then she'd been forced to go travelling and she'd seen a bit of the world, and it had made her itchy, especially at this time of the year when the geese were flying overhead and the first frost had mugged innocent leaves in the deeper valleys. She looked around at the kitchen. It needed sweeping. The washing up needed doing. The walls had grown grubby. There seemed to be so much to do that she couldn't bring herself to do any of it. There was a honking far above, and a ragged V of geese sped over the clearing. They were heading for warmer weather in places Granny Weatherwax had only heard about. It was tempting. The selection committee sat around the table in the office of Mr Seldom Bucket, the Opera House's new owner. He'd been joined by Salzella, the musical director, and Dr Undershaft, the chorus master. And so, said Mr Bucket, we come to... Now, let's see, uh, yeah. Christine, marvellous stage presence, and, er, uh, good figure too, he winked at Dr Undershaft. Yes, very pretty, said Dr Undershaft flatly. Can't sing, though. What you, um, artistic types don't realise is this is the century of the fruit bat, said Bucket. Opera is a production, not just a lot of songs. So you say, but... The idea that a soprano should be fifteen acres of bosom in a horned helmet belongs to the past, like. Salzella and Undershaft exchanged glances. So he was going to be that kind of owner. Unfortunately, said Salzella sourly, the idea that a soprano should have a reasonable singing voice does not belong to the past. She has a good figure, yes. She certainly has a sparkle. But she can't sing. You can train her, can't you? said Bucket. A few years in the chorus? Yes, maybe after a few years, if I persevere, she will be merely very bad, said Undershaft. Um, uh, gentlemen, said Mr Bucket. Ahem. All right, cards on the table, eh? I'm a simple man, me. No beating about the bush. Uh, speak as you find. Call a spade a spade. Do give us your forthright views, said Salzella. Definitely that kind of owner, he thought. Self-made man, proud of his handiwork, confuses bluffness and honesty with merely being rude. I wouldn't mind betting a dollar that he thinks he can tell a man's character by testing the firmness of his handshake and looking deeply into his eyes. I've been through the mill, I have, Bucket began, and I made myself, um, what I am today. Self-raising flower, thought Salzella. But I have to, um, <laughs> declare a bit of a financial interest. Her dad did, uh, in fact, uh, lend me uh, a fair whack of money to help me buy this place, and he made a heartfelt fatherly request in regard to his daughter. If I bring it to mind correctly, his exact words were, uh, uh, don't make me have to break your legs. <laughs> I don't expect you artists to understand. It's, it's a business thing. Uh, the gods help those who help themselves. That's my motto. Salzella stuck his hands in his waistcoat pockets, leaned back and started to whistle softly. "'I see,' said Undershaft. "'Well, it's not the first time it's happened. "'Normally it's a ballerina, of course.' "'Oh, it, it's nothing like that,' said Bucket hurriedly. 
It's just that uh, with the money comes this girl, Christine. And, and, and you have to admit she does look good. Oh, very well, said Salzella. It's your opera house, I'm sure. And now, Perdita? They smiled at one another. Perdita, said Bucket, relieved to get the Christine business over so that he could go back to being bluff and honest again. Perdita X, Salzella corrected him. What will these girls think of next? I think she will prove an asset, said Undershaft. Yes, if we ever do that opera with the elephants. But the range, hmm, what a range she's got. Quite. I saw you staring. I meant her voice, Salzella. She will add body to the chorus. She is a chorus. We could sack everyone else. Ye gods, she can even sing in harmony with herself. But can you see her in a major role? Good grief. No, we'd be a laughingstock. Quite so. She seems quite amenable, though. Wonderful personality, I thought. And good hair, of course. She'd never expected it to be this easy. Agnes listened in a kind of trance while people talked at her about wages, very little, and the need for training, a lot, and accommodation. Members of the chorus lived in the opera house itself, up near the roof. And then, more or less, she was forgotten about. She stood and watched at the side of the stage while a group of ballet hopefuls were put through their delicate paces. You do have an amazing voice, said someone behind her. She turned. As Nanny Og had once remarked, it was an education seeing Agnes turn round. She was light enough on her feet, but the inertia of outlying parts meant that bits of Agnes were still trying to work out which way to face for some time afterwards. The girl who had spoken to her was slightly built, even by ordinary standards, and had gone to some pains to make herself look even thinner. She had long, blonde hair and the happy smile of someone who is aware that she is thin and has long, blonde hair. My name's Christine, she said. Isn't this exciting? And she had the type of voice that can exclaim a question. It seemed to have an excited little squeak permanently screwed to it. Er, uh, yes, said Agnes. I've been waiting for this day for years. Agnes had been waiting for it for about twenty-four hours ever since she'd seen the notice outside the opera house. But she'd be danged if she'd say that. "'Where did you train?' said Christine. "'I spent three years with Madame Venturi at the Quirm Conservatory.' "'Um, I was,' Agnes hesitated, trying out the upcoming sentence in her head. "'I trained with Dame Og. "'But she hasn't got a conservatory, "'cos it's hard to get the glass up the mountain.' Christine didn't appear to want to question this. Anything she found too difficult to understand, she ignored. "'The money in the chorus isn't very good, is it?' she said. "'No. It was less than you'd get for scrubbing floors. The reason was that when you advertised a dirty floor, hundreds of hopefuls didn't turn up. "'But it's what I've always wanted to do. Besides, there's the status.' "'Yes, I expect there is.' "'I've been to look at the rooms we get. They're very pokey. What room have you been given?' Agnes looked down blankly at the keys she had been handed, along with many sharp instructions about no men, and an unpleasant not-that-you-need-telling expression on the chorus mistress's face. Oh, seventeen. Christine clapped her hands. Oh, goody. Pardon? I'm so glad you're next to me. Agnes was taken aback. She'd always been resigned to being the last to be picked in the great team game of life. Well, yes. I suppose so, she said. You're so lucky you've got such a majestic figure for opera and such marvellous hair, the way you pile it up like that. Black suits you, by the way. Majestic, thought Agnes. It was a word that would never, ever have occurred to her. And she'd always steered away from white because in white she looked like a washing line on a windy day. She followed Christine. It occurred to Agnes, as she trudged after the girl en route to her new lodgings, that if you spent much time in the same room as Christine, you'd need to open a window to stop from drowning in punctuation. From somewhere at the back of the stage, quite unheeded, someone watched them go. People were generally glad to see Nanny Og. 
she was good at making them feel at home in their own home. But she was a witch, and therefore also expert at arriving just after cakes were baked or sausages were made. Nanny Og generally travelled with a string bag stuffed up one knee-length knicker leg, in case, as she put it, someone wants to give me something. So, Mrs. Knit, she observed, around about the third cake and fourth cup of tea, how's that um, <clears throat> daughter of yours, <laughs> Agnes, it is to whom I refer? Oh, didn't you hear, Mrs. Og? She's gone off to Ark Moorpork to be a singer. Nanny Og's heart sank. That's nice, she said. She had a good singing voice, I remember. Of course, I gave her a few tips. I used to hear her singing in the woods. It's the air here, said Mrs. Knit. She's always had such a good chest. Yes, indeed. Noted for it. So she's not here, then. You know our Agnes. She never says much. I think she thought it was a bit dull. Dull? Lankra, said Nanny Og. That's what I said, said Mrs. Knit. I said we get some lovely sunsets up here. And there's the fair, every soul cake Tuesday, regular. Nanny Og thought about Agnes. He needed quite large thoughts to fit all of Agnes in. Lankra had always bred strong, capable women. A Lankra farmer needed a wife who'd think nothing of beating a wolf to death with her apron when she went out to get some firewood. And while kissing initially seemed to have more charms than cookery, a stolid Lunkra lad, looking for a bride, would bear in mind his father's advice that kisses eventually lost their fire, but cookery tended to get even better over the years, and direct his courting to those families that clearly showed a tradition of enjoying their food. Agnes was, Nanny considered, quite good-looking in an expansive kind of way. She was a fine figure of typical young Lunkra womanhood. This meant she was approximately two womanhoods from anywhere else. Nanny also recalled her being rather thoughtful and shy, as if trying to reduce the amount of world she took up. But she had shown signs of craft ability. That was only to be expected. There was nothing like that not-fitting-in feeling to stimulate the old magical nerves. That was why Esme was so good at it. In Agnes's case, this had manifested itself in a tendency to wear soppy black lace gloves and pale makeup and call herself Perdita, plus an initial from the arse of the alphabet. But Nanny had assumed that would soon burn off when she got some serious witchcraft under her rather strained belt. She should have paid more attention to the thing about music. Power found its way out by all sorts of routes. Music and magic had a lot in common. They were only two letters apart from one thing and you couldn't do both. Damn. Nanny had rather been counting on the girl. She used to send off to Ark Moorpork for music, said Mrs Knit. See? She handed Nanny several piles of papers. Nanny leafed through them. Song sheets were common enough in the ram tops, and a sing-song in the parlour was considered the third best thing to do on long dark evenings, but Nanny could see this wasn't ordinary music. It was far too crowded for that. Cosy Fanhita, she read, de Meister Singer von Scrota. That's foreign, said Mrs. Knit proudly. It certainly is, said Nanny. Mrs. Knit was looking expectantly at her. What? said Nanny. And then, oh! Mrs. Knit's eyes flickered to her emptied teacup and back again. Nanny Og sighed and laid the music aside. Occasionally she saw Granny Weatherwax's point. Sometimes people expected too little of witches. "'Yes, indeedy,' she said, trying to smile. "'Let us see what destiny in the form of those dried-up bits of leaf has in store for us, eh?' She set her features in a suitable occult expression and looked down into the cup, which, a second later, smashed into fragments when it hit the floor. It was a small room. In fact, it was half a small room, since a thin wall had been built across it. Junior members of the chorus ranked rather lower than apprentice scene-shifters in the opera. There was room for a bed, a wardrobe, a dressing-table, and, quite out of place, a huge mirror as big as the door. "'Impressive, isn't it?' said Christine. "'They tried to take it out, but it's built into the wall, apparently. I'm sure it would be very useful.' Agnes said nothing. Her own half-room, the other half of this one, didn't have a mirror. She was glad of that. She did not regard mirrors as naturally friendly. It wasn't just the images they showed her. There was something worrying 
about mirrors. She'd always felt that. They seemed to be looking at her. Agnes hated being looked at. Christine stepped into the small space in the middle of the floor and twirled. There was something very enjoyable about watching her. It was the sparkle, Agnes thought. Something about Christine suggested sequins. Isn't this nice, she said. Not liking Christine would be like not liking small fluffy animals. And Christine was just like a small fluffy animal. A rabbit, perhaps. It was certainly impossible for her to get a whole idea into her head in one go. She had to nibble it into manageable bits. Agnes glanced at the mirror again. Her reflection stared at her. She could have done with some time to herself right now. Everything had happened so quickly, and this place made her uneasy. Everything would feel a lot better if she could just have some time to herself. Christine stopped twirling. You all right? Agnes nodded. Do tell me about yourself. Uh, well, Agnes was gratified, despite herself. I'm from somewhere up in the mountains. You've probably never heard of. She stopped. A light had gone off in Christine's head, and Agnes realised that the question had been asked not because Christine in any way wanted to know the answer, but for something to say. She went on. And my father is the Emperor of Clatch, and my mother is a small tray of raspberry puddings. That's interesting, said Christine, who was looking at the mirror. Do you think my hair looks right? What Agnes would have said if Christine had been capable of listening to anything for more than a couple of seconds, was she'd woken up one morning with the horrible realisation that she'd been saddled with a lovely personality. It was as simple as that. Oh, and very good hair. It wasn't so much the personality, it was the but that people always added when they talked about it. But she's got a lovely personality, they said. It was the lack of choice that rankled. No one had asked her before she was born whether she wanted a lovely personality, or whether she'd prefer, say, a miserable personality, but a body that could take size nine in dresses. Instead, people would take pains to tell her that beauty was only skin deep, as if a man ever fell for an attractive pair of kidneys. She could feel a future trying to land on her. She'd caught herself saying poot and dang when she wanted to swear, and using pink writing paper. She'd got a reputation for being calm and capable in a crisis. Next thing she knew, she'd be making shortbread and apple pies as good as her mother's, and then there'd be no hope for her. So she'd introduced Perdita. She'd heard somewhere that inside every fat woman was a thin woman trying to get out, or at least dying for a chocolate. So she'd named her Perdita. She was a good repository for all those thoughts that Agnes couldn't think on account of her wonderful personality. Perdita would use black writing paper if she could get away with it, and would be beautifully pale instead of embarrassingly flushed. Perdita wanted to be an interestingly lost soul in plum-coloured lipstick. Just occasionally, though, Agnes thought Perdita was as dumb as she was. Was the only alternative the witches? She'd felt their interest in her in a way she couldn't exactly identify. It was of a piece with knowing when someone was watching you, although she had, in fact, occasionally seen Nanny Og watching her in a critical kind of fashion, like someone inspecting a second-hand horse. She knew she did have some talent. Sometimes she knew things that were going to happen, although always in a sufficiently confused way that the knowledge was totally useless until afterwards. And there was her voice. She was aware it wasn't quite natural. She'd always enjoyed singing, and somehow her voice had just done everything she'd wanted it to do. But she'd seen the ways the witches lived. Oh, Nanny Og was all right, quite a nice old baggage, really. But the others were weird, lying crosswise on the world instead of nicely parallel to it like everyone else. Old Mother Dismas, who could see into the past and the future but was totally blind in the present. And Millie Hopwood over in Slice, who stuttered, and had runny ears, and as for Granny Weatherwax. Oh, yes, finest job in the world, being a sour old woman with no friends. They were always looking for weird people like themselves. Well, they could look in vain for Agnes Knit. Fed up with living in Lancre, and fed up with the witches, and above all, fed up with being Agnes Knit, she'd escaped. Nanny Og didn't look built for running but she covered the ground deceptively fast, her great heavy boots kicking up shoals of leaves. There was a trumpeting overhead. 
Another skein of geese passed across the sky, so fast in pursuit of the summer that their wings were hardly moving in the ballistic rush. Granny Weatherwax's cottage looked deserted. It had, Nanny felt, a particularly empty feel. She scurried around to the back door and burst through, pounded up the stairs, saw the gaunt figure on the bed, reached an instant conclusion, grabbed the pitcher of water from its place on the marble washstand, ran forward. A hand shot up and grabbed her wrist. "'I was having a nap,' said Granny, opening her eyes. "'Githa, I swear I could feel you coming half a mile away.' "'Oh, we've got to make a cup of tea. Quick!' gasped Nanny, almost sagging with relief. Granny Weatherwax was more than bright enough not to ask questions. But she couldn't hurry a good cup of tea. Nanny Og jiggled from one foot to the other while the fire was pumped up, the small frogs fished out of the water bucket, the water boiled, the dried leaves allowed to seep. "'I ain't saying nothing,' said Nanny, sitting down at last. "'Just pour a cup, that's all.' On the whole, witches despised fortune-telling from tea-leaves. Tea-leaves are not uniquely fortunate in knowing what the future holds. They are really just something for the eyes to rest on while the mind does the work. Practically anything would do. The scum on a puddle, the skin on a custard, anything. Nanny Og could see the future in the froth on a beer mug. It invariably showed that she was going to enjoy a refreshing drink, which she almost certainly was not going to pay for. "'You recall young Agnes Knit?' said Nanny, as Granny Weatherwax tried to find the milk. Granny hesitated. Agnes, who calls herself Perditax? Perdita X, said Nanny. She at least respected anyone's right to recreate themselves. Granny shrugged. Fat girl, big hair, walks with her feet turned out, sings to herself in the woods, good voice, reads books, says poot instead of swearing, blushes when anyone looks at her, wears black lace gloves with the fingers cut out. You remember we once talked about maybe how she possibly might be mm, suitable? Oh, there's a twist in the soul there, you're right, said Granny. But uh, it's an unfortunate name. Her father's name was Terminal, said Nanny Og reflectively. There were three sons, Primal, Medial and Terminal. I'm afraid the family's always had a problem with education. I meant Agnes, said Granny. Always puts me in mind of carpet fluff, that name. Probably that's why she called herself Perdita, said Nanny. Worse. Got her fixed in your mind, said Nanny. Yes, I suppose so. Good. Now, look at them tea leaves. Granny looked down. There was no particular drama, perhaps because of the way Nanny had built up expectations, but Granny did hiss between her teeth. Well, now, there's a thing, she said. See it? See it? Yep. Like a skull? Yep. And them eyes? I nearly... I was pretty damn surprised by them eyes, I can tell you. Granny carefully replaced the cup. Her mum showed me her letters home, said Nanny. I brung them with me. It's worrying, Esme. She could be facing something bad. She's a Lankra girl, one of ours. Nothing's too much trouble when it's one of your own, I always say. Tea leaves can't tell the future, said Granny quietly. Everyone knows that. Tea leaves don't know. Well, who'd be so daft as to tell anything to a bunch of dried leaves? Nanny Og looked down at Agnes's letters home. They were written in the careful rounded script of someone who'd been taught to write as a child by copying letters on a slate and had never written enough as an adult to change their style. The person writing them had also very conscientiously drawn faint pencil lines on the paper before writing. Dear ma'am, I hope this finds you as it leaves me. Here I am in Ankmore Pork and everything is all right. I have not been ravished yet. I am staying at 4 Treacle Mine Road. It is all right. And Granny tried another. Dear Mum, I hope you are well. Everything is fine, but the money runs away like water here. I am doing some singing in taverns, but I am not making much, so I went to see the Guild of Seamstresses about getting a sewing job, and I took along some stitching to show them, and you'd be amazed. That's all I can say. And another. Dear Mother, some good news at last. Next week they are holding auditions at the Opera House. What's... Opera, said Granny Weatherwax. 
It's like theatre with singing, said Nanny Og. Huh? Theatre, said Granny darkly. Our Nev told me about it. It's all singing in foreign languages, he said. He couldn't understand any of it. Granny put down the letters. Yes, but your Nev can't understand a lot of things. What was he doing at this opera theatre, anyway? Nicking the lead off the roof. Nanny said this quite happily. It wasn't theft if an Og was doing it. Can't tell much from the letters except that she's picking up an education, said Granny. But it's a long way to... There was a hesitant knock on the door. It was Sean Og, Nanny's youngest son, and Lonkra's entire civil and public service. Currently he had his postman's badge on. The Lonkra postal service consisted of taking the mailbag off the nail where the coach left it and delivering it to the outlying homesteads when he had a moment, although many citizens were in the habit of going down to the sack and rummaging until they found some mail they liked. He touched his helmet respectfully at Granny Weatherwax. "'Got a lot of letters, Mum,' he said to Nanny Og. Uh, "'They're all addressed to... Uh, uh, well, you'd better have a look, Mum.' Nanny Og looked at the proffered bundle. "'The Lunker Witch,' she said aloud. "'That'd be me, then,' said Granny Weatherwax firmly, and took the letters. "'Ah, well, I'd uh, better be going,' said Nanny, backing towards the door. "'Can't imagine why people'd be writing to me,' said Granny, slitting an envelope. "'Still, I suppose news gets around.' She focused on the words. "'Dear Witch,' she read, "'I would just like to say how much I appreciated the famous carrot and oyster pie recipe. "'My husband—' Nanny Og made it halfway down the path before her boots became suddenly too heavy to lift. "'Giffer Og, you come back here right now!' Agnes tried again. She didn't really know anyone in Ankh-Morpork, and she did need someone to talk to, even if they didn't listen. "'I suppose, mainly, I came because of the witches,' she said. Christine turned, her eyes wide with fascination. So was her mouth. It was like looking at a rather pretty bowling ball. "'Witches?' she breathed. "'Oh, yes,' said Agnes wearily. "'Yes, people were always fascinated by the idea of witches. "'They should try living around them,' she thought. "'Do they do spells and, and ride around on broomsticks?' "'Oh, yes. No wonder you ran away.' "'What? Oh, no, it's not like that. I mean, they're not bad. "'It's much worse than that.' "'Worse than bad?' They think they know what's best for everybody. Christine's forehead wrinkled as it tended to when she was contemplating a problem more complex than what is your name. That doesn't sound very bad. They mess people around. They think that just because they're right, that's the same as good. It's not even as though they do any real magic. It's all fooling people and being clever. They think they can do what they like. The force of the words knocked even Christine back. Oh, dear! Did they want you to do something? They want me to be something, but I'm not going to. Christine stared at her, and then automatically forgot everything she'd just heard. Come on, she said. Let's have a look around. Nanny Og balanced on a chair and took down an oblong wrapped in paper. Granny watched sternly with her arms folded. Thing is, Nanny babbled under the laser glare, my late husband, I remember him once saying to me, after dinner, he said, You know, Mother, it'd be a real shame if all the stuff you know just passed away when you did. Why don't you write some of it down? So I, I scribbled the odd one uh, when I had a moment, and, and then I thought it'd be nice to have it all properly done. So I sent it off to the almanac people in Unk Moorpork, and they hardly charged me anything, and a little while ago they sent me this. I think it's a very good job. It's amazing how they get all the letters so neat. You done a book, said Granny. Only cookery, said Nanny Og meekly, as one might plead a first offence. "'What do you know about it? "'You hardly ever do any cooking,' said Granny. "'I do specialities,' said Nanny. "'Granny looked at the offending volume. "'The Joy of Snacks,' she read aloud. "'By a Lankra Witch. Heh. "'Why didn't you put your own name on it, eh? "'Books got to have a name on them "'so as everyone knows who's guilty.' "'It's my gnome de plume,' 
said Nanny. Mr. Gortberger, the almanac man, said it'd make it sound more mysterious. Granny cast her gimlet gaze to the bottom of the crowded cover, where it said in very small lettering, CXXV one month, printing, more than twenty thousand sold, one half dollar. You sent them some money to get it all printed? Only a couple of dollars, said Nanny. Damn good job they made of it, too. And they sent the money back afterwards, only they got it wrong, and sent three dollars extra. Granny Weatherwax was grudgingly literate, but keenly numerate. She assumed that anything written down was probably a lie, and that applied to numbers, too. Numbers were used only by people who wanted to put one over on you. Her lips moved silently as she thought about numbers. Oh, she said quietly. And that was it, was it? You never wrote to him again? Not on your life. Three dollars, mind. I didn't want him saying you wanted them back. I can see that, said Granny, still dwelling in the world of numbers. She wondered how much it cost to do a book. It couldn't be a lot. They had sort of printing mills to do the actual work. After all, there's a lot you can do with three dollars, said Nanny. Right enough, said Granny. You ain't got a pencil about you, have you? You being a literary type and all. I got a slate, said Nanny. Pass it over then. I've been keeping it by me in case I wake up in the night and I get an idea for a recipe. See, said Nanny. Good, said Granny vaguely. 